prepared and presented by Andromahi Sophocles and Kemal Baikal. The 2017 Gran Montana Conference is back in the spotlight due to the presidential elections in the Republic of Cyprus. Turkey is sending its drill ship in undisputed waters and a glimmer of hope at the Cyprus Friendship Camp. Hello, Andromahi. Hello, Kemal. I have been following the Greek Cypriot press and Greek Cypriot social media. There is a big discussion again once more after five years on what happened or what did not happen in Kran Montana in July, August, uh, in June, July uh, 2017. Why after five years the discussion is back and why is everybody trying to prove something to the rest of us who are just watching this, you know, um, blame game, I should say. Well, this is happening for a number of reasons. Uh, our uh, uh, audience remembers that uh, we had discussed in the last episode that uh, Mr. Mavroyanis had raised the issue of what had happened in Montpellerin and how the Greek Cypriot side basically left uh, from Montpellerin. Um, and after that, you had Mr. Polis Poliviu, a very high-profile lawyer, coming out and, in fact, also referring to a small miracle, a triumph that had taken place in Montpellerin for the uh, during the Cyprus problem negotiations, and so. The the new documents that appeared from Phil Elefteros and from um, Michalis Ignatiou, the journalist, in a sense came in order to disprove the emerging narrative. So um, basically what Phil Elefteros is doing, kind of counterintuitively, if you ask me, because, I mean, journalists are not supposed to side with <laughs> the government and those who have power, but in this case, this is what happens, because in a sense, these documents that are being leaked are being used in a way um, in order to excuse the Anastasiadis government and uh, Mr. Christodoulidis for uh, his handling of the issues. Um, in all honesty, I think that this situation is not uh, uh, is not productive. I I think that it is not helping us. And um, in fact, if you see the way that the documents are being presented, there is a total distortion of truth to the extent that even um, civic discourse is being distorted. So you are, you you have documents that are being leaked, which if one reads them they will understand uh, what was on the table. But the way that the journalist presents it is as though um, the contrary had happened. But why is it so important for the journalists to cover up for the, for the government? I mean, okay, we are critical of the media in general, but is it really that extent, like one after another, the the biggest newspaper especially and it, the group is trying to prove everybody a one after another another secret leakage that what has happened in Cram Montana was not how the critics have been claiming why is it so impor important for these journalists to 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 have this fight 
I actually think that this um, this thing goes way beyond uh, the current government. This has to do with the dominant uh, Greek Cypriot narrative as to uh, the way the Greek Cypriot side perceives the negotiations process. So this the line that Turkey is intransigent and that Turkey is to blame, solely to blame, for the lack of a solution to the Cyprus problem is the core pillar of the Greek Cypriot narrative, mainstream narrative. And Philelefteros represents exactly that. And in this situation, the Anastasiadis government is putting forward this narrative, and therefore Philelefteros and Michaeli Signadiou in particular, in a sense, comes in order to, uh, quote, quote, uh, save the government let's say, or at least to try to save face, let's say. I honestly think that the historians of the future will be, you know, studying the situation in Cyprus at the moment. They will be bewildered uh, about the extent of our, uh, I don't know, of, of the superficial way with which we look at things, especially when considering what is actually at stake, which is peace on the island. But it is the most disappointing thing, Kemal, is that this whole discussion is basically um, revolving around who is right, who is to blame. And in, in, in this whole discussion, there is a total lack of, of vision, of vision as to how do we go forward. And I must say here, uh, hearing Mr. Polivio after six years saying everything that he said about the triumph, etc., in, in Montpellerin, it is once again disheartening because we come to think of all the opportunities that were lost. And in fact, if one reads the documents, one will get a sense of great disappointment as well because if one gets to understand uh, how the negotiations process was basically uh, developing, it is highly disappointing that uh, we failed. Exactly, in the sense that, you know, when there are negotiations, Sides have their positions, and in order to move away from their positions or move forward uh, from their positions, they are always give and take. It's like incremental. They don't make it very obvious, and there are moments that they take a step front and then they take a step back, and you know, and it's all based on on trust. I mean, if you feel and trust that the other side is also, you know, doing something about that, you probably would be more willing to to take that extra step. And after all those years, and, you know, you and I, we were there as well during um, the, the Crum Montana talks, uh, Cyprus conference. And, um, you know, even then, even at that time, we knew what was going on. I mean, it was a small town. Everybody knew everybody. People were gossiping. You could really know what was going on. Even then, we knew what was going on. And the problem is that in a, in a blame game environment, it is not easy to come up and say anything about it because immediately you would be uh, you know you would be put into a picture they say okay you are you're supporting this position or that position at the end of the day we know very well today that we were very close to a deal and um and we know that uh, turkey doesn't accept it today of course but at that time um was willing to set that they were willing to make that uh, opening and then uh, you know their promise their their opening was not tested i mean supposedly there were going to be prime ministers there and then of greece and turkey and they would be 
really uh, make you know tying the knot on on the security and and guarantees chapter, and then that didn't happen. So rather than discussing. Uh, what promised what, whether the sites were genuine or, or not, we should be discussing why the sites let the conference to collapse. And that's, you know, and then since then things were going uh, rolling um, backwards. I agree. And here I have two points that I would like to make. So on the one hand, we need to be very careful when we need when we look at documents in order not to uh, miss the context, because context is very important. These documents and these minutes, they are simply sort of moments in time of a wider uh, process, a process that was taking place way beyond Grand Montana and way before Grand Montana, in fact. And so, for instance, I will just give one example. There is a mention uh, of the monitoring and implementation mechanism in the in the documents that have appeared. And the Greek Cypriot side says, but this was not clear. We did not know what that was. But in fact, one needs to know that this mechanism was for for a long time in the making. It didn't just appear uh, in the Grand Montana Conference. And in fact, everything was in the making far uh, before the Grand Montana Conference. So when we look at documents, we need to be able to also have in mind and take into consideration the context and all the previous deliberations that took place. At the same time, it is also important to put everything into context when it comes even to the issue of the breaking down of trust, let's say, um, the failure in Grand Montana was obviously impacted by the previous failures, the failures of, of the Montpelleran conference, the failure of the Geneva conference, even though the maps were submitted. Even New York. And even New York. So the, this breakdown of trust does not happen in a day. Even the reactions, uh, the, the lack of willingness, all these, they need to be put in the, in the context of a long negotiations process, a process that started in 2015 after Mr. Akinji had been elected. So all those expectations that were vested in the process, as they were collapsing step by step, and especially after September 2016, as we know, well, inevitably this brings the breakdown of trust and this can, can explain a number of other uh, behaviors as well. So it is worth putting everything into context rather than simply just you know taking the papers and superficially reading them because we are not doing history justice here. And the other thing that I was thinking that, you know, every now and then I hear things like, oh, you can never trust Turkey, oh, you can never trust the Greek Cypriots, this and that. If this is the case, why are you negotiating? I mean, if you think that the partner will not commit to the agreement, why are we negotiating at the first place? And, you know, I mean, you, you don't negotiate with somebody whom you agree on everything. You ne negotiate with somebody whom you don't agree. You have different positions and you try to come to a point. And, and uh, whether the sides will commit uh, to, to their promises will, of course, has something to do with, with diplomacy, with, with, with time. And what's the alternative to, to stay like this? And you expect, you know, a, a small or a big miracle to happen by itself. 
And that's really a, a challenge to our intelligence. My Kemal, actually, that's exactly it. The, the, there is this self-defeating attitude. You see it exhibited in every way. Even this lamenting against the United Nations all the time and how the bigger powers, they will side with Turkey. It is like we have accepted that we are going to be the victims forever and we like this role. And instead of trying to be productive and, uh, you know, taking initiatives, thinking outside the box in order to find ways at least even step by step to overcome the obstacles. I am honestly no of the self-defeatist approach because it is so teleological as well. Like it's, it's, it's as though any process or anything that starts will inevitably fail. And that's the epitome of self-defeatism. And I remember when we started this podcast and even the Island Talks uh, podcast uh, platform, the idea was um, to say something which the mainstream media doesn't say necessarily. And uh, the reason why I said this is because when you don't have a strong democratic tradition, when you don't have strong um, critical institutions, when you don't have independent media, when you don't have uh, a strong civil society, it takes years to <laughs> deconstruct the uh, any narrative or or to challenge any narrative um, of of any government, and that's so sad. I mean, that's really uh, sad. I mean, we have been attacked. We have been as as activists, as you know, people who've been following the process. When we were saying something different from the main narrative, we were really uh, put on target. And now, after six years, five years, finally, some things are 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 really uh, becoming more visible. But even now, how the deep state is, you know, fighting back with the nails on the on the you know um, stone and like they're like really fighting back and you know every passing day we have a new person making statement Polivio finally said something and then you know Celebis has already been very careful but saying things and um, I think somewhere I, I read also the the British the UK representative was also saying in his memo memoirs that you know there were some you know openings uh, by Turkey at that time so you know, um, this is so sad that we don't have those independent institutions uh, and media. Um, yes, Kemal, I, I think it is worth mentioning this, that Alan Duncan, who at the time of Kramontana was a minister of state uh, uh, for Europe and the Americas for the United Kingdom, and he was in Kramontana, in his memoirs, uh, he's, he, he's writing that uh, um, there was a lot of quarreling at the final dinner between uh, in Kramontana, and that, uh, in fact, the then British High Commissioner in Cyprus was left deeply disappointed in Mr. Anastasiadis. So this is the reference that was made in, in Mr. Duncan's memoir. So I, I think it's just putting this into the discussion as well. So what do we have now, I mean, in terms of discussing Cyprus problem in the, in the um, presidential race? No, I think things are more quiet at the moment. The, you had those revelations, supposed revelations by Philelefteros uh, recently, but things have gotten quiet. In fact, I think it is also worth mentioning that Mr. Averov Neofitu has not positioned himself at all in this discussion. I mean, it is like, I don't know, he, 
he, he does not have something to say on how we left Montpellier on what happened in Grand Montana. So he's choosing to uh, step aside and leave this matter, uh, only touch Mr. Christodoulidis and Mr. Mavrogiannis. I don't know if this tactic is failing or if he appears as though he's, you know, he, he, he chooses to stay. Like a middleman, like exactly. a wise person. I'm not getting into these discussions. I'm more looking, you know, forward kind of. A, yeah, but I, I don't know how, you know, how effective this policy is. If you try to also present yourself as someone who, you know, is opinionated and has a clear stance on the Cyprus problem, you know, I, I don't know how you cannot take a stance on what happened then. But in any case, um, I think uh, I think that the Cyprus problem really does not interest the Greek Cypriot uh, voter at the time. Um, I think you can see this in, in every poll. The Cyprus problem is not in up in the hierarchy of, uh, of Greek Cypriot voters. Other issues like the economy, like the way things are going in general, the, the refugee and migration flows is also an issue of concern. So uh, I think that... It, it is not very helpful to have this discussion on Cramontana going all the time because this makes the public tired and basically not interested in the process, in the political process. So we have um, a candidate supported by Akel and we have a candidate supported by DC and probably none of them, there is a chance that none of them will win um, because Mr. Hrustoduli, this is, is actually... Um, leading um, the, the polls. So if this is going to be the case, I think this is going to be the first time a candidate uh, which is not supported, at least in the first round, by either party uh, will, will win. I think that I don't remember any another example in the recent history um, in the Greek Cypriot politics. Yeah, I think you're right. And because you mentioned Akel's candidate and because we had this discussion about the minutes, I think it is also worth noting that Mr. Mavroyan is after Philelefteros revelations. He came out with a statement in, in Philelefteros and he said that the revelations prove what he was saying for five years. It is, Kemal, the situation is mind-boggling because the way the revelations were presented was in a way that basically fully disproved Akel's narrative for the past five years. And Mr. Mavroyan is the candidate that Akel has chosen, uh, is saying uh, that the, the revelations, in fact, prove everything that he was saying. So there is so, so there is a conflict between Mavroyanis and Akel's, you there know, is, uh, Cyprus problem expert Chelebis. There is there is a clear conflict between what is being said, and in fact, Mr. Chelebis was very vocal lately on the issue. So it's not that Akel tried to uh, stay on the sidelines on the matter. No, Mr. Chelebis came out and he was giving Akel's version of events. So. Uh, I think it is worth noting that this uh, conflict uh, exists, but it is it is also noteworthy that they can still continue, um, you know, being uh, collaborating for the election. So this, I don't know, uh, one could say that it is a sign that Mr. Mavroyanis is indeed um, an independent candidate. That would be the nice way to put it for Ikel. Or one would say that... Uh, you know, one one could question Akel's choice. What about the the drilling? I mean, we now know that Turkey has a new drilling ship sailing away, um, and uh, there are lots of rumors and discussions. And finally, Mr. Erdogan said that um, they will drill an area 
50 kilometers away from Turkish uh, coast. And probably it's not, uh, I think it's not an area disputed by, by anybody. So um, I think this is probably putting an end, at least in the very short term, a possible uh, the possibility of, of a dispute. W- what is the latest on this? Yes, uh, you're right. The Abdulhamid Han, I think, uh, Abdul Hamid Han. Abdul Hamid. Abdul Hamid Han. The relationship of, of the uh, Turkish petroleum has sailed and is now in the Yerukler uh, one target, which, as you said, it is 55 kilometers from the from Antalya. Uh, indeed, it is in an area that is not disputed. In fact, that's th- that was an interesting development because the Republic of Cyprus was preparing the public for something worse. Uh, in fact, it, it was preparing the public for uh, for a drilling in Block Six in the internationally recognized exclusive economic zone, and in fact, that was. That was indeed um, an expectation that was that was grounded on the expectations that uh, that the Turkish side also put around the, the the drilling and all the pompous statements on it. Uh, but it appears that Turkey has chosen to play it safe. The Greek media have in fact been reporting that this is because uh, Turkey had received the international pressure uh, on the issue. We do not know the reason, but it is clear that it is a choice that leaves some room for um, for the tensions to to be reduced we were expecting a more heated uh, summer let's say but this development uh, having the drill ship in an area that is not disputed uh, it is uh, um, at the very least a development that, that that can allow for a calmer summer well um, yes we know that uh, there are other um, calculations as well we know that Turkey is now um, is trying to play a, a medi- mediator role between Ukraine and Russia, try to um, be friendly with Putin, but at the same time prove the, the Western world that um, Turkey is a trusted NATO ally. So, you know, I mean, these things will continue to happen. And since we haven't solved our own problem, we'll be at the mercy of bigger politics uh, anytime. I mean, so <laughs> I don't know what else to say on that. You know, the solution of the Cyprus problem could have helped uh, Turkey and Greece to to really sit down and solve their own uh, other problems in Asia and in other uh, areas as well. But it, it, that didn't happen. So um, we are in August and I don't think that many people are very excited about uh, politics or anything serious <laughs> in life at all. I don't know if any people are in the holiday mood. But um, there is one more person who is also in holiday mood, which is uh, Mr. Tatar. <laughs> he is uh, invited in to... Well, what can I say? He he is invited to Konya. Konya is known to be a very conservative town of Turkey historically. And uh, currently, Turkey is hosting uh, the fifth Islamic Games in, in Konya, where, you know, all Islamic countries are, are being present, except the Turkish Cypriots, of course. And... Uh, and uh, just, of course, the opposition in the north has always been hitting the conservatives and pro-TRNC supporters on that because, you know, even Turkey couldn't make 
uh, you know, um, to to invite uh, North Cyprus as a separate uh, team, uh, or you know, in in some mediocre um, or even not serious event and hosted by Turkey, but instead they invited Mr. Tatar. So it is uh, for many it is really an embarrassment where your sports people cannot compete in that competition, but you are there sitting next to Mr. Uh, Erdogan and Mr. Um, you know all the the <laughs> representatives of the Islamic countries, and um, there was a big uh, let's say um, fight. Uh, I should use that word uh, between Mr. Tatar and between the president of the Turkish Cypriot Football Association, who happened to be from the same party uh, of Mr. Tatar, and uh, he attacked Mr. Tatar for being there when this the sports people of North Cyprus of Turkish Cypriots cannot be, and he used very harsh words, and uh, you know, and Tatar struck back, and then used very harsh words against the president of the football federation, and you know, in the end, um, you know, everybody sees that the Turkish Cypriots cannot take part uh, in any international competition, um, and because of the Cyprus problem, I should say. I mean, nobody will uh, invite, no international organization will invite Turkey Cypriots under a TRNC banner or, uh, you know. And, you know, in 1970s, after the division, there were cases where Turkey Cypriots were taking part. And after the declaration of TRNC in 1983, things uh, got worse. And this is just one example how you know, uh, politics and realities do not match with each other. And, you know, the, the so-called two-state solution or, or making TRNC uh, recognize, it's, it's not even an illusion. It's, it's a joke. I mean, everybody knows this. And by saying that they will work to make TRNC recognized in a time when even the bigger countries are, are so much afraid that their uh, minorities will go and try to, you know, declare independence, you know, it, it, this is this is uh, basically saying something that you don't even believe. I don't know who, who else believe in this. So this is basically the latest uh, <laughs> from, uh, from well, the Well, I think this situation kind of goes to show the, the hypocrisy towards the Turkish Cypriot community who is being sort of lied at about this possible, so-called possible recognition, which is not possible. And I'm one of those people who believe that the, that the unilateral uh, declaration of independence by Mr. Denktash of, of TRNC was 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 one of the crimes against uh, the Turkish Cypriot people because it has really put them... Uh, in the corner, it has delegitimized their their cause, let's say, in the international uh, arena, and it is leaving them uh, isolated and to the mercy of either Turkey or the Republic of Cyprus. And um, maybe I should give here an interesting uh, trivial, or maybe <laughs> you know, uh, it's something that is known by uh, by Turkish Cypriots, but maybe the international community is not aware of this, Andromahi. You know, before 1983, we had nine years of Turkish Cypriots uh, self-rule after 1974, right? So what so what was guiding them in that nine years? What was the, the, the base? In fact, many people forget the fact that in 1975, Turkish Cypriots has declared Turkish Federated State of Cyprus, which, why Turkish Federated? Because they say that, okay, I mean, since we are going, there is going to be a federal solution. Here is 
what we are doing. We name our side as the one side of the federal solution, and we already name it. So they had in 1975, the Turkish Cypriots had their own constitution. They had their own um, assembly. They had their own courts. They had uh, their, their own governing um, bodies. They had their institutions from 75 until 83. So what was declared in 83, nobody understands. Because it was basically, um, let's say, the breach of the constitution that was uh, there since 1975. And um, so that was the time when Turkey was finally electing the first civilian government after 1980 coup and the first elections in turkey took place in after the coup d'etat in 1980 took place in 6 on on 6 of november 1983 all right and that was when mr özal was elected and it was obvious that mr özal wanted to will want to solve the cyprus problem and he was going to take some power from the generals. So it took Mr. Tengtash to announce it, uh, the, the, the unilateral uh, UDI, um, only uh, nine days. So it was, Turkey was already in that transition. So generals were leaving the government and the civilians didn't come yet. And that was the time Mr. Tengtash <laughs> used, used the time to, to, to announce it. So. You, you see um, how how the developments in outside Cyprus also affect uh, Cyprus. Thank you for this, Kemal, and I think that's a very important piece of information. And I think here um, it is uh, it is a good time for us to mention some of our experiences this past uh, few weeks, because in fact the plight of the Turkish Cypriot community, um, especially those Turkish Cypriots who feel that they belong to the Republic of Cyprus and not to Turkey, let's say, um, and not even to the TRNC, um, we got to hear a number of, of, of stories by Turkish Cypriots in the Cyprus Friendship Camp. And uh, if you would like to say a few things of uh, about it, because it was truly uh, an astonishing experience. Yes, this is a podcast by two activists, apart from being political analysts and political animals. We are also activists on the ground. We go to the places, we talk to the people, um, we try, try to... Um, let's say, uh, have exchanges with the youngsters. So this camp was um, the continuation of the previous camps. Every year, such camps are being organized, bringing Turkish Cypriot and Greek Cypriot youth, um, high school students mainly, uh, together. And, um, you know, this this time, I we were invited to, to speak to them about peace activism and, you know, um, the things what we do. And personally, I think, I can talk on behalf of you as well. I think we are grateful for the invitation and it was really inspiring for us to be there as well. What I've discovered, discovered particularly for the Turkish Cypriot youth is that the Turkish Cypriot youth who are more representing, coming from the, the higher uh, uh, elites of the Turkish Cypriot families are the ones who are studying in schools in, in, in the Republic of Cyprus, the ones who are going to the private schools. They are in an identity crisis. They feel that they belong to Cyprus. They feel that they belong to Republic of Cyprus. They want to um, 
see their future uh, with 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 a united country, but this is not happening. Happening, and um, on the other hand, we all know that the Republic of Cyprus is is not, let's say, very much welcoming to the Turkish Cypriots. So they are feeling that they are also not accepted by that. So they feel in an identity crisis. They feel that nobody wants them. They don't know about their future. They don't know who, you know, they don't even call themselves Turkish Cypriots, most of them. And they call themselves Cypriots, uh, Turkish-speaking Cypriots. On the other hand, in the North, we have, um, you know, uh, masses to do not have access to the South. And, um, you know, maybe they don't feel the way those youngsters are feeling. So unless we solve the Cyprus problem, we might be expecting that those Turkish Cypriots who are, you know, who have who have more access to the EU and um, to the Republic of Cyprus opportunities will probably be leaving Cyprus somehow, and then this will eventually uh, turning Turkish uh, uh, Cypriot community um, into uh, into something else than what it is at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and you know we often discuss uh, why the Turkish Cypriots are more politically active and uh, more politically aware or more in touch with the Cyprus problem. And in fact, what we heard at the Cyprus Friendship uh, Camp was exactly the reason uh, why this happens. And the reason is that whilst um, the average Greek Cypriot can really be uh, brought up and raised on this island without ever thinking of the Cyprus problem as being a hindering uh, obstacle in their way or in their life in any way. The Turkish, for the Turkish Cypriot, this is not the case. The Turkish Cypriot uh, finds the Cyprus problem when it comes to what school they will choose, when it comes to whether they will be able to, to, uh, to go abroad, whether they will be able to study abroad. So everything um, that has to do with their life basically depends on the Cyprus problem in a more direct and evident way. So this is the reason why you have a more politically aware Turkish Cypriot youth. At the same time, you are right about what you said about the Turkish Cypriots who go to private schools in the south, but we need to be... Um, alert to the fact that because of the great financial crisis in the north and because of the of of the collapse of the Turkish lira basically the 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 number of Turkish Cypriots who can afford to go to the schools in the south is now uh, heavily limited uh, in fact uh, at the camp we heard about the very few numbers of new students at the English school so that is something that should be of concern because uh, unless you have this sort of mixing or this sort of uh, inter Interaction between the people of the island and who can hope for a prosperous and a peaceful future. So, all these are issues that we need to uh, bear in mind, and and we always discuss how it is. In, it is stupid on behalf of the Republic of Cyprus to let these Turkish Cypriots that believe in a united Cyprus, that believe in an independent Cyprus, um, it is stupid to leave them to the mercy of Turkey or to leave them to the mercy of an unrecognized uh, entity. And, and on the other hand, you know, these are very of practical. Course. I mean, both Greek Cypriots and Greek Cypriots, when I went there, they were, I was amazed. They're really bright. I mean, the way they're looking at things, how cool they are, and, you know, they, they managed to have, to, you know, to, to understand what, what's going on. I mean, 
for example, this this Greek Cypriot youngster who was who were, who were, who was talking about what happened in Cyprus and and how Turkish Cypriots should also be accepted by 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 everybody. And then on the other hand, we have this Turkish Cypriot youngster who was talking about that that that, that they are in a desperation also because of the economic and also uh, social reasons. You know, I'm 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 sorry that we are losing those youngsters. I mean. And these are the biggest investment any country that that will have. For and we are forcing them to emigrate. We are forcing them to leave this island because this island has no future to give them. And as you said, this is the case for both Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots on the island. And and it's basically the people who believe in an island without motherlands. I mean, it comes down to that as well. Yeah. But um, let's keep the positive side of, of our experience there, which was that we, these youngsters exist in Cyprus today. And let's try to make everything possible so that they can have, they can hope for a prosperous future on the island. On that note, we say goodbye. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.